Thanks, Lee, Pauline. When I was just uh, 11 or 12, I was in a church that had a few of these extra sort of rules and it sort of didn't make church that pleasant. Um, One of them was that the kids, which I was part of, we had to take all these notes from the from the preacher and, and the pastor at the time and on the way out he would stand there and he'd make sure he'd grab you and make sure you handed your notes to him and, and, and it sort of at the time it sort of made sense so you had to take notes as a child and give it, I don't know what the adults are doing I don't think the adults took notes but the kids had to take notes and, but you look back on it and you think well, what is going on like, that's not really how we uh, want to um, do church and, and involve kids and and make them welcome. It's not how we do it. And so my prayer and my hope is that this morning, not just the children but also the adults, that we can take just one thing to be encouraged by or to learn that God will um, encourage you and, and, and teach you this morning. Corinth's location uh, made it a crossroads by both land and sea. Um, if you can see Corinth with the star there, uh, you'll see that it is on this small bit of land between the joining the north of Greece to the south of Greece. Uh, and it was well in a great location to, for people who would travel from, by foot uh, from, le- from north to south. They'd have to sort of pass through Corinth. Um, and also by sea from west to east or east to west where the ships would come in to the port of Corinth um, and would have to, instead of travelling south around the bottom part there of Corinth, which was sort of dangerous waters, uh, they, would, they would prefer to come into the port of Corinth and actually smaller ships would be pulled about six kilometres through that land, pulled through the land um, into the, uh, the Saronic Gulf where it would be placed, where they would then sail off into the, the other parts of the world there. So quite a unique location. A population of perhaps 500,000 is estimated. Uh, a mix, it was a Roman colony, so you had a mix of um, Roman retirees, uh, Greeks of course and, and even Jews and Egyptians. Its economy then, of course, thrived on tourism and especially in the shipping industry with all its different employees. So a steady stream of, um, of economy, its, its money would come in from all these uh, uh, tourists and business operators became very wealthy and it became the place where it was well known that Corinth would be the place if you wanted to have a good time you'd take money because it's where, the, it's where alcohol flowed freely and it's where the party scene was and with all of its pagan religions it was very common in the pagan religions uh, to indulge in sexual practices. So consequently the sex, the sex industry in Corinth was booming. The most notorious shrine in Corinth was the Temple of Aphrodite. It stood on top of a, a mountain, the Acrocorinthus, just south of the city where hundreds, um, if not some places say up to a thousand prostitutes served the men that worshipped there. 
it gained such a reputation that it became a common phrase to Corinthiazesta. Hopefully I've said that right. To act like a Corinthian. That was just a common phrase at the time. In fact, in Greek scripts, it would be quite common to have someone in a play who played the Corinthian. One who was drunk all the time. One who indulged in all sorts of sexual activities. And this is the culture in which the church is existing in. This is the the community where Paul spent the second most amount of his time as a missionary, 18 months, in to establish a church in this, what we would sort of deem as a sinful, selfish, filthy city. But God chose this place to bring believers together to impact and be a shining light of his love and grace and forgiveness upon these people. So I was trying to think of what an equivalent place might be today and we often refer to Las Vegas as the place where uh, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But you know, as I was thinking about it, I, I don't think we need to drift too far away actually from where we live right now. While Melbourne might not hold the same stereotype um, as a Corinthian, I think that probably has more to do with the moral standards that the Western world carries today. The city that we call home, I don't believe really holds much better moral values than 2,000 years ago in Corinth. The evil that takes place day in, day out in our city, well, there's no real hiding the facts. I mean, if you go onto Google and, and, and read up on just some statistics about alcohol and drugs and gambling and prostitution, Melbourne's culture has become the place where we play hard, we work hard, sorry, and play harder on the weekends. Work hard Monday to Friday and the Saturday, let your hair down, relax and do whatever you like because you deserve it. The Australian National Council on Drugs states that almost two-thirds of 18 to 29-year-olds, two-thirds have said that they drink specifically to get drunk in Australia. That one in eight deaths of Australians under the age of 25 is alcohol-related. I mean, the statistics uh, blow your mind away. If you go onto that, I've just pulled two, sort of two out. Um, but if you go onto, you can go onto this website and read about these. It's mind blowing. The amount of drugs that are in our cult, in our community, they're everywhere. They're in every school, they're in, not in every, I don't want to say every school, they're in schools, they are in communities, they're in workplaces and I've seen them in every stage of my life. Whether you see it or not, this is the Melbourne culture. This is the city in which we live. This is the city in which God has gathered us as his people, his local church. 
And so the question is, how are we, as God's people, the local church, impacting on that culture, on that community? Is the community, the culture of today in Melbourne, influencing us individually and corporately? Or are we impacting, first of all, individually with those who we come across during the week? Because it doesn't work that you can do whatever you want during the week and come together and we'll corporately just impact the community and the culture around us. First of all, we take responsibility to be disciplined, to surrender ourselves to Christ, to impact those that we come across individually and corporately, impacting on the community and the culture around us. Sometimes it's easy just to bow down to what is politically correct, say the things that are easy to hear, say the things that make us popular, brings lots of people in. When we need to stand for the truth, we need to stand for what God has called us to stand for, to be obedient to his word and to be bold enough to declare it not conforming to any patterns of this world but that we would be changed and transform people impacting on the culture, impacting on the community in which God has placed us in. So what do you stand for? What stand are you taking at work, at school, at uni, at home, with your neighbours? You see the church in Corinth was having very little influence on the community around them, on the culture. In fact, they were being negatively influenced by that community and culture at the time. And it was creeping into the way in which uh, the church ran and in the way in which they worshipped God. And so, as we work our way through this letter over the next, uh, whatever it is, eight, nine weeks, we'll get an insight into what is going on in this church. Why did Paul write this letter? What were the issues and how does he instruct them and what are we to gain from it? What are the principles to hold on to? But before he starts with these issues, Paul first brings encouragement. Uh, Not encouragement about their lifestyle or the way they're travelling as Christians because he's not questioning their faith but he's not encouraging them about their lifestyle. He's encouraging them about what God has done and what God is doing. Verse 4 and 5 he says, I always thank God for you because of his grace, because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus for in him you have been enriched in every way in all your speaking and in all your knowledge. Paul goes on to mention that they do not lack any spiritual gift, that God will keep them strong, he will sustain them, he is their foundation, that they will be blameless when Christ comes again, that they have been called into fellowship with Jesus, a personal relationship with their Saviour and that all this is made possible because God is faithful. His encouragement is purely based upon the fact that what God is doing and has done in their lives. 
and it's God who they must rely on and trust in. It's God who they must be obedient to. It's God who they must follow. Um, I have so much to be thankful for. Uh, I have a, a godly wife who loves me and a, a godly parents who love me. And Rachel has godly parents who love her and sometimes love me. <laughs> no, all the time. <laughs> Took a while though. <laughs> Being blessed with uh, beautiful kids and healthy kids a house to live in, cars to drive to work in. But as I was thinking, you know, those things can be taken away from me like that. And what would there be left? What doesn't fade away, what doesn't perish is the promises of God and God's word. And this promise that I've been enriched in every way. That I'm spiritually blessed because of the Holy Spirit who God has sent into my life. That I'm spiritually gifted to bring worship and and to glorify God. That because of what Jesus has done on the cross and in his resurrection, I've believed by faith and brought into a relationship with God. That day by day I have a friendship, a fellowship, with Jesus Christ. That I will be presented before my creator blameless and guiltless because what Jesus has done. That I'll spend eternity with him. And all this for me and for you has been made available because God is faithful. Not because of anything special you've done but because God is faithful. And so Paul's encouragement to them is that you've been enriched in every way. So in light of that, keeping that truth in the forefront of your mind, there's some issues we need to deal with in the church. Issues that he has come aware of through some people from It says in verse 11, Chloe's household and in chapter 7, a letter that has been written to Paul uh, uh, of some issues from the church and it's a real, I guess, look, glimpse at this personal um, letter that Paul has written to people that he spent so much time with to build this church up and get it going. And it must have saddened his heart to hear these things that was going on. So over the next couple of chapters he deals with division in the church and fighting amongst one another. And we'll be touching on it today and also a little bit tomorrow, uh, next week. Um, in this culture that we've talked about, there were the, the wise, these wise people, philosophers of the day. Uh, they would uh, gather and, and, and discuss at length um, all the things that are of the world, uh, philosophies of, of life, uh, what it means to be living, what it means to be dead, um, popular world views on, on, on the creation and 
And, and, these, and these philosophers, these people would then uh, gain sort of followers and these followers would follow these people around and leaders and boast about these leaders that these are the, these are, this is the one who I follow. He is, uh, he is so wise. You, you listen to him speak. And so there were these sort of parties in the community who had their own leader who they could hang on to and claim as their own. And you see this sneaking into the attitudes of the church. In verse 12 it says that one will say, I follow Paul, another I follow Apollos. Another I follow Cephas or Peter. Still another I follow Christ. And in doing so they are claiming some sort of superiority over one another within the church. That the one who I claim to follow is so much better in his speech or the one who I claim to follow is so much wiser. And even one who says I follow Christ who would claim that spiritual elitism is theirs because Christ is the leader of their little party within the community, within the church and he's broken away, he doesn't really belong to you. And Paul just gives these rhetorical questions to break that off, to, to, to stop that nonsense. Is Christ divided? Does he want to be a leader of just certain Christians? Of course not. Was Paul crucified? Were you baptised into the name of Paul? Of course not. In fact, he's glad that there aren't many who could boast in the fact that they were baptised by him because it wasn't what Paul says his calling. Paul's burden, his purpose is to preach the gospel. In verse 17... He says, For Christ did not send me to baptise but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Sorry, and 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. Um, I'm, a, I'm a quite simple man. Um, many of you probably knew that already. I did finish school though. You'd be surprised. Yes, you are surprised. Okay. Um, I did finish school. I, I didn't read much though, and and I still don't read much. I, Year twelve English was like the back of the book sort of stuff for me, you know, and gain a bit of the oh yeah that happened and then that happened and then maybe read the last page and didn't. And sometimes you get the movie actually. I could watch the movie of the book. That was good. Um, but I got my way through year 12. I have a bunch of books now on my shelf, a whole bunch. Dad's given me a bunch and some have been given to me and I might have borrowed one or two, probably Raph, I've probably still got some of your books that I've never given back. <laughs> Sorry, I'll keep an eye for them. Uh, I actually struggle, like I, I sort of get reading on a book but I struggle to actually read a book from cover to cover and... Uh, I probably, even the kids' stories, you know, I sort of usually take two or three nights just to get through Cinderella or Tinkerbell. Um, I, and the kids are always like, let's read it all, Daddy. Like, oh. Especially the ones that have so many words. 
And you know, here is Paul's point. There is no one wise enough to know God. There is no philosophy deep enough to connect you to God in a relational, a really meaningful way. The misunderstanding that there must be miraculous signs attached to the gospel or there must be an eloquence of speech attached to the gospel or wisdom attached to the gospel to bring about its full power has to be stamped out of the church. So Paul says in verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. In Romans 1.16, Paul says there in his sort of definition of the gospel that it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It's not a wisdom-based salvation. It's not power that is reliant upon human strength but a faith-based salvation, believing that Jesus Christ has died for your sins and was raised again to life. That we may be in a personal relationship with him for now and eternity. This is power. That the God who created the universe has made a way possible that we may be in a relationship with him. That we may spend eternity with him. Nothing that we can do to earn it. But completely relying on him to do everything. So this morning as we go from this place, if we are to boast about anything, not about what's gone on up here this morning or about what you've done during the week, but if there's anything to boast about, boast in the Lord. He has done everything. Praise his name. Lord and God, we are so thankful this morning that it's not about what we have to do in order to reach you but you came down to us with an attitude of humility, sending your son to die in our place. I thank you that you've done everything. I thank you that you've brought us into a relationship with you because we believe by faith this morning in the powerful demonstration of love and of forgiveness at the cross. Lord, let it be on the forefront of our minds as we go into this week that you have enriched us in every way. And we're not here to be changed by the community and culture but you have placed us here 
in order to impact and shine into this culture and community around us. And as we study your book here in 1 Corinthians over the next few weeks, let it be true that we are ready to be changed, transformed more into the likeness of your son Jesus Christ in order to bring glory to your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.